Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hemograph, dedicated to Henry Farmer. In the years of the primal force, the war of terrestrial birth, man mastered the mammoth and horse. Well, 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 my friends, episode 165, Agitators Anonymous, is a very cool one. It's been a while since there's been an interview, and um, I've got one of the L.A., the Los Angeles OGs of the metal scene. It's Joey Vera, um, the bass player of Armored Saint, Fate's Warning in the 90s and to the present, and also you probably might have noticed him on the bass in the Merciful Fate reunion, at least last year's European shows. I know Joey for quite a while, and I've been trying to get him on the show. Um, And finally, the planets aligned and all that kind of thing. And it's a really great chat. It's about the the origins of the LA-US metal scene, the trials and tribulations of bands dealing with big labels and managers, and the effects of grunge and first time coming to Europe, all sorts of brilliant stories and joe is just a super relaxed chill um amazing dude to have a chat with um and so episode 165 is a chat with joey vera um before that i will say you can support the show on patreon patreon slash alan averill there are no tears you can just join and it's all sorts of discussions about well all sorts of different things and demos and unheard this that and the other uh, the show is sponsored by Metal Blade Records, um, of which Primordial is a part of the family there, along with Joey Vera, along with Armored Saint, along with Merciful Fate, um, along with Fate's Warning. So it's a kind of a keeping it in the family episode today. Um, and you can go to www.indiemerch.com uh, slash Metal Blade and use the promo code AA2023 for 10% of your order. And if I could recommend something from your order, I would recommend the Armored Saint album, Symbol of Salvation, which was in 1991. This is a huge record, an amazing record. And we talk about that a bit in the conversation. Um, also, if you are quite a few people messaging me recently about the um, the backdrops that I've been telling them about, if you're looking for professional band backdrops, they are uh, fireproof, all that kind of thing. You can find them. Uh, behind Primordial amongst many other bands. Um, just send me a message, hit, hit, slide into my DMs and I can figure it out. All right. 
Um, and if you are aware of the, uh, you can follow me on Instagram, by the way, Instagram, uh, something or other, who knows, an empty anger primordial, whatever it is. Um, but I've been asking people to ask me some questions. They're coming in a two-part thing next week. So if you asked me to explain what FOMO sexual was, um, fear of missing out, I think that might be. Well, then you're going to have to wait until next week for my um, obviously sardonic and witty comment. All right, my friends, let's get into it. Joey Vera. So what was okay. that? What was that uh, wasp tour like? Well, yeah, we toured with Wasp uh, last fall, um, and uh, it was six weeks in the U.S. And uh, you know, it was honestly amazing. Uh, the whole band and the crew were nothing but gracious uh, and uh, made our life easy. You know, luckily we were the only support band, so there wasn't a third band on the bill. Mm. So for us, it was like kind of like cake you know like we'd set up we'd get a sound check every single day and leave our stuff set up as you know that's always like great you know so uh the the whole tour was awesome i mean they they went out of their way to make us feel welcome and we got made sure we had stage room i mean all the things that you kind of fear going in being a support yeah. band you yeah. know uh we were like really like no complaints it was really really great so uh and then the audiences were amazing um i'd say like at least 50 percent of the tour sold out so the crowds were just killer uh, it was a great package i think both bands celebrating 40 year anniversary that year mm. and uh you know it, it was a great tour it was a lot of fun for us um you know um it was kind of interesting because some like some cities where we would play that were familiar to us and we played a lot like Cleveland and Chicago, places like that. Um, and so, you know, the crowds were just completely nuts, you know, and the, but then we sometimes would play other places we hadn't ever played before. And where a lot of people were there kind of just for the spectacle of it. Like, you know, yeah. Wasp obviously has a big history and it's very sort of theatrical thing, you know? And so, a lot of people were coming to the shows, not not like I'd say 100% sure who we were. Yeah. But, so, but we, it was, you know, for us, it was like, okay, time to go to work. Like, you know, yeah. don't rest on your laurels, like get your ass out there and work. And, uh, you know, people were like, we'd win in people over all over the place that were, that was sort of new territory for us. So that was it was a good thing all around, you know. It was we got to play for some old schoolers, but we also got to play for a lot of people that had kind of maybe heard of the band but never seen us before. Yeah. So you always want to do that when you're on tour. It's always good to spread yourself to new to a new audience. So it was it was awesome. It's really really good all the way around, you know. But it was that's great. but that's so like what I what I want to try and um, discuss is maybe like. When we were um, hanging out a few times in LA, I started to, you know, get into all the old stories from back in the day. And seeing as it was <laughs> 40 years, I mean, sort of try and um, dig into some of the memories from way in the beginning, because people are super fascinated with that sort of 80, 81, 82, 83, 84, sort of formation yeah. of the whole scene when you're sort of milling around as a teenager in LA trying to start bands and who was on the scene and who wasn't on the scene. I don't really yeah. know where to start to pinpoint a certain memory, but what about right at the beginning of Armored Saint or right at the beginning of the first time you saw 
that there was bands like from the area beginning to play and you went to see, you know, like 88 yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, if, you know, I was, I'm pretty lucky that I'm born and raised in LA. You know, we had, we've always had a pretty rich, you know, like other cities like New York and San Francisco and, you know, the bigger cities and places in Europe too, you know, um, uh, I was lucky to be here. And um, so when I first started getting into music and get, was old enough to start going out to see yeah. live concerts. And so like specifically what you're, you're speaking of, it made me remember when I first started going to clubs, I was probably 15, yeah, yeah. Years, 15 years old or so. And um, that was when I started to see bands in clubs um, that were from the area bands. Like I missed the whole Van Halen thing. I was, they were a few years ahead of me. Um, so I missed them in the clubs because as many people know, they're from Southern California, yeah, yeah. Pasadena, which is our, our backyard basically. Um, but there were other bands that came up just behind them. And those are the bands that I got to see. So bands like Snow, that's where Carlos Cavazo came okay. from. Of course, Carlos went on to play with, you know, Rat and, and Quiet, Quiet Riot. Riot. Yeah, exactly. So um, uh, I got to see Snow. There were other bands in the in the that sort of realm, like called. Uh, there was a band called um, Smile. There was a band called uh, you know Ready Kilowatt. who was kind of a contemporary of Van Halen. Um, so we started going to see clubs at the Starwood. Oh yeah, and I got to see bands at the Starwood, which is a famous defunct club that was back in the big in the seventies and uh, early eighties. It just shut down, but I saw a lot of great things at the Starwood. I saw Motley Crue's very first show ever in public um, when they played, and they played at the Starwood, and uh, they were god awful. <laughs> but um you know but you could tell like just real quick on motley crew you could tell that something was brewing yeah it was just it was actually like really really lo-fi at that point punk rock yeah but it had this energy and this whole vibe about it was like holy shit something is happening but um and uh ironically uh i got to see I, i'm kind of on this rory gallagher kick oh. again right now uh, yeah and i got yeah. to see i got kick. to see oh man uh and i got to see rory at the um starwood in oh, 70, really? 77 Oof. so uh yeah i mean me and my guitar player phil sandoval from arbor saint yeah uh, him and i went on a sunday night probably tickets were three bucks man and it was like we were front row and and i had only known rory from guitar player magazine i wasn't of really course. that you know, I was kind of getting into music, but I wasn't really that familiar with them, and but just completely blown away yeah. at that point. So, you know, that was when I first started going to see shows and seeing bands like from Los Angeles playing in clubs. And it kind of made me feel like, wow, there's like a scene here. You know, I only know my exposure to music was from Circus Magazine, Hit Parader Magazine. Rolling Stone or whatever, and it was all the big bands, you know, Zeppelin, Sabbath, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, the big bands, and it's like, well, that's beyond. I think that's a world that it's just untouchable, you know. But when you start seeing these bands and and the musicianship is like incredible, and 
and say, wait, these guys are from my area and they're playing the clubs. That's when you start to realize there's a local scene. And so that's when I started to sort of, we all started getting into the local scene. So, you know, by virtue of where we were from, you know, of course, we started getting into music and, you know, begin to play instruments. And then we started to go out more. And yeah, yeah. next thing you know, we're forming a band. So in the beginning of Armored Saint, you know, we started playing these places. And so that's when, so you what know. Year, when was that? What year was that? Or would you remember the, we're ta- the yeah, we're talking even, even the month? Yeah, or we're something? talking about 1982. Uh, we graduated high school in 1981, and uh, while we were in high school, um, we were still going to clubs and stuff, but we hadn't actually formed Armored Saint yet. Armored Saint formed in the summer of 1981, the year after we, I mean, right. the summer we graduated. Yeah. <clears throat> so uh, it was really at that point where Armored Saint formed, and it was, uh, I don't want to go too much into the history, it could be dry and long and boring, but... Sure. <laughs> But it was formed by Gonzo Phil and Dave Pritchard, uh, and they just began playing, the three of them, no bass, no singing. And next thing you know, John joined, and then I would occasionally join for jams, but at the time I was playing in another group. Uh, I was playing with a guy called Greg Leon. And Greg was kind of from the tail end of the Van Halen thing, so I was the young guy in the band, I was 17 playing with right. 20, 22 year olds. And so I was playing the troubadour and the whiskey already um, before I even graduated high school. So I was in this band and I, that was the reason why I wasn't joined. I didn't join Armored Saint at the get go. But um, by the time spring of 1982 came around, um, the guys, you know, reeled me in. We had been, Armored Saint, where we all grew up in the same neighborhood and we've been childhood friends forever. Um, so when the band started, uh, that was that was the catalyst. We, just, we were just all best friends. And when, I'm just really curious about what was the, like, the sort of availability of music or the influence of different bands or the people around you in the scene? Because I think even, like, 10 years later, we all had our scene here and there was a group of about half a dozen very active people who sort of, with the movers and shakers and have you heard this record and have you heard that record? So I'm always really curious, when is the moment where something big happened or like the first Maiden or what Priest was doing or where it kind of made a very definite impact on, okay, this is a big influence. We're going to move in this direction or, oh shit, we just saw Metallica or we just saw whatever. And that kind yeah. of spurs you on a bit. Like, you know, they're just like pivotal moments, you know? Yeah, I would have to say that it was, I mean, when we started getting into, uh, you know, heavier music as we were getting into, like, say, our senior year of high school. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you're talking 80, 1981 here, 80, 81. At that point, you know, yeah. uh, you know, first Maiden Records out, you know, and at this point, we used to c- congregate at this um, record shop in um, Pasadena called Pubaz. And Poobaz was the only place within a 25-mile radius that we knew about, at least, um, that sold export uh, export records from the UK. We were specifically interested in what was going on in Europe. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it was and it was the only place you could find Kerrang magazine. Oh, so for, right. for a lot of for a lot of people, uh, that's where it was the Bible. That's where things. It's we were first introduced to Iron Maiden and um, 
Motorhead, Def Leppard, Saxon, you know, the new ever British heavy metal was something that was completely new mm. to us and, and the rest of the world, I guess. Right. Yeah, yeah totally. Um, so, uh, you know, before that we had, we were already into Judas Priest and Scorpions and UFO and Finn Lizzie and there's a black rose thing right there. Oh, wow. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. I, we were already <laughs> into that stuff. Um, but when the new wave of British heavy metal came out, it was kind of like this grassroots thing that made you sort of think like, wow, we could maybe do this too, you know? Yeah, yeah. So Poobah's, this record shop was all about that connection with the new wave of British heavy metal. It was the only place you can get Kerrang! magazine. It's the only place you could find imports, you know, so that's where we would go. We would go there every Saturday or Sunday. Uh, we would drive up to Poobahs and you'd see five guys with long hair and leather jackets looking yeah, yeah. through records. You know, I mean, it's the same experience probably for you and a lot of other people. Yeah, yeah. Same, man. Yeah. Ten years yeah, So, yeah, yeah. yeah, so that's where it started. Um, that was the catalyst for like, wow, you know, we we should do this. We should do what we see in the magazines. We want to try to do that here. And do you remember the first kind well, of when we first started, our whole goal whatever? was to make, well, you know, we started playing clubs uh, and our whole thing was like, we need to make wherever we play look like the marquee. Like that was okay. what we wanted. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was our goal was to like, whatever, wherever we're playing, it has to be like the marquee. We wanted a whole row of nothing but headbangers in the front row. Yeah, yeah. And at the time, that's not, it was completely uncommon. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, at the at that point, you know, we started playing shows uh, at clubs, and we were playing, you know, the usual suspects, the Troubadour, and um, the Roxy, um, and and other places in our neighborhood, which are not really known for having clubs. Like things are being put on in like uh, like temples, you know, like just these weird rooms that were yeah, yeah. makeshift venues, you know. Um, and that's really where it started. Um, and a lot, you know, mind you, I guess I should mention that we weren't the only ones doing this, yeah, you yeah. know, um, rat was doing this. Um, wasp was doing this. Speaking yeah. of wasp, black and blue was doing this. Black um, and blue. Okay, yeah. a U.S. version of overkill was doing this. Uh, Betsy bitch was doing this. Of course, yeah. Um, uh, you know, a lot of bands were doing this and um, we were one of them. And so as, as a result, consequently, we were doing gigs. We played several shows with Rat, played several shows with Wasp, played several shows with a band called Stormer, um, played shows with Bitch and Overkill and yeah. Black and Blue. Um, so it was just a sort of rotating thing. You know, even Dawkins, before Dawkins even oh, right. got their major label, they were they were in that scene. I'm sure I know um, you about that before, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we were playing with, with those guys. Uh, George Lynch used to be in a band called Exciter, and we did shows with Exciter. You know, so um, not the Canadian one, but the... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so it was during that time where you started to see, like, going back to your question about the beginning of it, you know, it was, like I said, it was really uncharted territory at the time. Um, and in the beginning, it wasn't like we wasn't like headbanger galore from the get go. Yeah, yeah. It was a lot of people just sort of standing and watching. And yeah. Hollywood has this reputation for being like that because Hollywood has seen everything. Like, yeah, yeah. 
this city, you know, it's a little bit jaded in that way. The same way that New York can be jaded, you get it all. You see, you you know, we have everything here. Jazz, blues, bluegrass, punk, you know, R&B, it's all here. So this place can tend to be a little jaded. So in the beginning, it was like crowds were sort of like just sort of looking and watching, you know. But again, like we would, our whole thing was we come from the suburbs. And so we'd bring all our suburban friends with us. Yeah, yeah. We're also going to Poobahs with us, by the way. Yeah, yeah. So we'd have a load of personal friends, yeah. 15, 20 of them showing showing up and like, okay, guys, marquee, it's on. Yeah, yeah. You know? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so suddenly people were like, what the fuck is, what is going on? Like, are these guys, they, they, at first they thought we were punk rock because of the, the head banging and the sort yeah, yeah, of the yeah. energy and then the room. And I said, no, it's not punk rock. This is, this is heavy metal, you know? So it was slow and gradual, but it, it was, you know, it's hard to like pinpoint one moment, but um, there was one maybe cusp moment that happened when we played the Troubadour and the Troubadour used to be a sit down dining room uh, venue where you would go and you'd, they'd have cocktail tables yeah, yeah. and chair, chairs all the way up to the stage. And so you would order something to eat, you'd order some drinks, and then a band would play, you'd sit down, you know, it's one of those places. Yeah, yeah. It, was like, it was like that for years. And so when we, I think the first time we played at the Troubadour, our friends were like, we're not having this. So they came up and they moved all the tables and chairs back about 20 feet back. Yeah. The club was all pissed off, like, what are you guys doing? You can't do this. And they're like, no, 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 we don't give a shit what you say. And next thing you know, it was a little bit like chaos happening. Yeah. We come on stage, they're going nuts, and then we're going nuts. So people in the audience were like, wow, what the fuck is happening here, you know? And since that day, as far as I know, maybe it was, maybe I'm wrong, but I have yet to see the tables back in that <laughs> venue since that yeah. day. So I think that not that we were the start of it. I think that like bands like us and, and, and ourselves were the beginning of, of a sort of a change in the way, you know, uh, people were experiencing music in Los Angeles, you know? So it was a crazy time. Like I kind of wish I paid attention more because I didn't, <laughs> I don't, you know, we were 19 years old at that point. So I don't, yeah. I, I don't, I think it was sort of like, you just sort of felt like, well, it's, it's supposed to be like this. Like, yeah, it's yeah. not anything, it's not anything special. It's just supposed to be like this. Yeah, you know? yeah. But hindsight's what? always twenty twenty, and you look back in time and you go, you know what? Something really cool started here. Yeah. And you, you were here. And I'm I, not sure like that, said, um, I'm not <laughs> sure that, I'm not sure that when you're, at the mo at that moment in time where something is virgin territory, whether you understand that it's virgin territory, you know, that's a sort of naivety or the impetuosity of youth that you're just sort of yeah. in the moment. You're not aware until a couple of years later and you go, Oh fucking hell. That was a really yeah. moment, you know, it's true. And, and then, you know, people, I, I get asked about this subject a lot, you know, what was it like? What was it like? You know, and I kind of like, I, it was cool. I mean, from what I remember, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it all kind of happened so fast. It really did. Yeah. Uh, then, I mean, but it, but it yeah. must have just jumped really quick then to like getting signed and did oh, man. going on tour. 
Oh Even man. I remember the first time I went on tour, it's like fucking hell, you're gonna play in some of the venues you read about in magazines. It's a really oh, we could do this. You can you can release a thing and you know. I mean yeah. that, must been, that must have been crazy, right? I mean it was really fast, you know. Um Quiet Riot was the first band in well, again, aside Van Halen notwithstanding, you know. Yeah. Um Quiet Riot was really the first band of that second sort of I don't know, I guess of the heavy metal genre you could say they were the first ones out of the gates so they came out and got a record deal and it still seemed a little bit like surreal you know but that album was huge you know oh, yeah. and, and so um yeah people don't realize month, metal health is just enormous record like or... it's just it was massive i mean it yeah. was so big i mean it, it, look i think granted it took probably I don't know. I'd have to do the research on it, but it had to have taken at least at least six months to a year before it really got million status. But yeah. still, still pretty quick. It's done like eight million in the USA or something. Yeah, and then and then it just went even bigger once MTV got a hold of the video and yeah, bang your head was forget it. Mental health, yeah. forget it. Uh, and but right behind them was Motley Crue. So Crue, as you know, because you're you know your history, they. First signed independent, so their their first record came out independently, which is kind of also sort of a old school kind of like a New England British heavy metal influence. Yeah, as well, like they were like, yeah, like they were like, we're gonna do it ourselves, you know. And kudos to them for doing that. It was a great move, and it was perfect. And that again, it fueled the scene to just perpetuate this new sort of wave. What was happening in the city. Um, but by the time, let's say, Armored Sane and Wasp and Rat, Black and Blue, all those bands started playing live, uh, another six months behind Motley Crue, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, it, it, again, the snowball was just gaining speed. And so, like, by the time we did our first gig with me and the band, it was 1982. And within 12 months of that time, we had already gotten to the place where we were selling out as a headliner, you know, uh, 800, 1,000 cap uh, v uh, clubs. Yeah, yeah. So we had, uh, not only us, but Rat was doing the same. We used to do shows with Rat and with Ross, and we'd do like two, three bands on a bill. But within six to eight months, we couldn't do that together because we could sell it out on our own. Right. So each each of us started headlining, and we were all doing well. And so within twelve months, we were we had a record deal by late by this by this winter of nineteen eighty three. We had a major label record label. We had even we hadn't even played fifty gigs yet. So yeah. that gives you an idea about how fast uh, things were happening in the city. Yeah, yeah. And of course, Rat got a deal as well. Same story for them. Within six to eight months, they had a deal. Wasp had a deal. Black and Blue got a deal. You know, I mean, everybody was getting signed. It was just like, it was just, it was really kind of was too fast, to be honest with you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, but it was pretty crazy, you know. And again, at the time, like, that time just goes by so fast that you don't, you know, you don't realize that's like, that what's really happening. You just sort of think like, well, this is what should be happening, you know. <laughs> and then do you remember the first time you got like fucking... You traveled to another city to play, or you went to New York to play, or the first time you were aware, like, oh, you, we could actually, this is a viable option to try get in a van or in a bus and travel around and play. And then 
you remember the uh, after that? Do you remember the first time landing in Europe to play? What was that? Well, yeah, that's a two-sided question because uh, you know, on one hand, in the U.S., um, we we had done the first time we went out of state was was before we got signed, and we just did like two shows in Arizona, which is not you know, it's only like a six to eight hour car drive, so it's yeah. not really like touring. But it, that was technically our first time out of playing out of the out of the state, and it wasn't that wasn't enough of a taste to know what was to come because that yeah, was yeah. we booked some weird bar and we went there and no one knew who we were and people were dancing and we were like what the fuck and we're wearing armor and you know like uh, <laughs> we're, we're like yeah, yeah. we're like an art you know we're a heavy metal band and yeah, yeah. people are yelling out you know Freebird and it was like okay this is yeah, weird yeah. but um. It wasn't until, uh, believe it or not, it wasn't until we got signed and our first record came out, March of the Saint. It came out in the spring, uh, early summer of 1984, if I'm not mistaken, or maybe it was the fall, I can't remember. But it came out in 84, and that was the first time we ever went beyond and went on tour. And, uh, you know, this is like, again, this is, Again, don't we didn't really appreciate what we had because we were so young and naive, and again didn't realize the reality of what was happening. <laughs> but um, our very first tour was a major tour. We opened for Quiet Riot on their Condition Critical tour, okay. and the support direct support was White Snake on Slide It In. This is before Slide It In really blew up. Wow! And we we were third on the bill, and this was an arena tour, so. Wow, you know, we're we're just like, I, what are we doing here? But okay, right. And our first, our first, I'd say, white snake, white snake in the middle. So yeah, I guess this is like the John Sykes sort of. Oh man, yeah, yeah. Cozy Powell every night. Wow, Cozy Powell, John Sykes, Neil Murray. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that was insane. I, and we knew enough about White Snake at that point, to, and obviously David Coverdale and uh, and Cozy, mm. we were well aware of their history, and just completely in awe of them every night. Um, but again, just like snotty-nosed punk kids who didn't know or appreciate. Well, I think we appreciated it because that's just we come from humble, you know, suburban place, and so we were very. You know, we were humble about that. Um, I just mean, like, didn't really grasp yeah. the importance of it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so our first, uh, I'd say, it was like a three, it was like a eight-week tour. And I'd say, like, the first two to three weeks of it were spent in a um, just a couple of cars, like a couple of sedans and a truck carrying our gear. So the first half of it was... You know, kind of roughing it, but we didn't know any better, didn't care, yeah. didn't matter. You yeah. know, we were just happy to be there. And then eventually, halfway through, uh, I guess our record company, Chrysalis Records, footed the bill for a, a tour bus, and it was our first ever tour bus. And, you right. know, it was a cheap one, but it was still yeah. a tour bus. And we were just like in heaven at that point. So, you know, that was really our first experience of being out and about. And again, um, First time playing any place besides California. So no one really knew who we were, but it was a great experience for us to get out 
and to play for people. As far as I can remember, we did, we got good responses. It's not like, uh, you know, it was the, again, the, the scene was so, it was such a beginning of the scene that, um, I think people were just happy to see bands that even looked or sounded like Judas Priest or yeah. Iron Maiden, yeah, which yeah. we kind of had an, you know, we had a bit yeah. of an influence course, yeah. from those guys in the beginning. So it was like, yeah, these guys sound like Maiden, you know, <laughs> whatever. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's like, they don't care. It's like, ah, we're, we're in. So it was a good experience for us. It really, really was. We were great. It's, a, it's crazy to think of like white snakes being in the middle before. I mean, condition critical. I mean, quite right. Are sort of on the way out by then, but still, yeah. arenas, you know. So, what was the first yeah. to get to London? He must have um, freaked out when you first got to London and got to. Well, yeah, the, the yeah, that was the second part of your question yeah. was playing in Europe, and so, like as you as you can imagine, uh, from what from what I was saying earlier, that we were heavily influenced. I would say the majority of our influences coming from Europe. Yeah. And so our dream was to not only make our gigs seem like they were at the marquee, but we <laughs> we wanted to go there. We wanted yeah, to yeah, play London. We wanted to play in Germany and then Holland, all over Europe. We just wanted to go there, you know. But we had a hard time getting there for quite a long time. It was part of our plight with our record company and with our management. And we were, again, we were... 21 years old when our first record was released right. so we were that was part of our conversation was we want to go to europe we want to go and play there but you know we quickly found out that you don't always get what you ask for and you really have to be an asshole to get what you want sometimes and so our company record company and our management all said the same thing Oh, you don't make any money going to Europe. Um, we found out that we being an American signing, even though Chrysalis is originally based in London. Okay. Um, we were signed from the LA offices. Okay. So we're under different direction of A&R people there and sort of there's this whole political thing that we were completely unaware of, obviously, because we were, you know, right, punks. Right. <laughs> So the album was um, the album was the album just an import in Europe then, or was it actually? Well, I actually I do think that because of their uh, their uh, you know they obviously it's the same company. I think yeah, they yeah. had distribution worldwide. I, I don't think sure. it was that so much. I think yeah. it was more about you know because we were signed under the umbrella of the A and R department in in Los Angeles that it was like okay, this is your deal. You guys make it happen. So you know. It was all on the American company to make us, you know, okay. Okay. start to happen. So immediately it was like, well, no, we're going to concentrate on the U.S. You know, we got, got yeah, we go for radio, you know, press and radio, and you know, try to get you on the road. And like, okay, yeah, yeah. That's, that's all fine and good, but like, like we, I think we have like a fall. Like we we're all about tape trading at that point. So I'm like, dude, we're getting write ups in Kerrang, we're getting write ups in like, yeah. you know. Like we have a presence there, so let's go. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. again, it was this thing about the bottom line and like the money. And I was like, okay, well, maybe next album. Okay. So then yeah. next thing you know, Delirious Nomad comes out in 1985. Same conversation. Oh, no, you're not going to make any money there. Yeah. yeah and there's no, and, there's, kind of, there's kind of no way to be sort of proactive yourself 
uh, crossing the Atlantic as you could be in the you know in the nineties. Now you can, it's not like I think it's open to just go. You would walk into a travel agent and go, "Hey, how much does that cost?" Right, and then just like you call somebody in Europe and go, "Put it together." I mean, it, it could work like that. You've got. Yeah. I feel since so many barriers put in your way to kind of not take. You're convinced yeah. these people know better. I guess I don't know. That's that true. I mean. It, it really was like that, and you know, and I talked about this before. We were. It really goes again. It goes to how naive we really were. Yeah. Uh, about the business, and I find out much later uh, in life that you really need to. You can have a manager, but you still need to manage yourself to some degree. Yeah. So, and that's something we never did for a long time. We just yeah. felt like, like, like you just said, like, well, we have a manager. That's their job, you know. Yeah. But, and, but and, I found out much. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just found out much later that like you can't have that attitude. You really have to be, to some degree, DIY has to be in your DNA at some point, at some level, for the rest yeah. of your life. <laughs> I mean, that's the, the that's the thing is, I guess when bands like ourselves came along in the '90s, everything was kind of downsized to a degree. But you we were the same tape trading thing. But you were there was more of a kind of the idea of having a manager seemed very, very far fetched. But yeah. and even now, like even the other week, I had to remind you think to somebody like, hey, you do actually work for us. And although you may think this yeah. is a bad idea, this is what we want to do. Um, yeah. I guess in the 80s, because things are, hmm, I think maybe there was just maybe more trust in these, in expertise, because that's just what's handed down to you. And like you said, you can't really walk into a, it's not like you're able to look up flights online and go, hey, we could do this ourselves. Or Yeah. Well, you know, here's a good example maybe of the difference uh, of sort of philosophy. You know, we had signed to a major label, as did a lot of bands uh, from L.A. Mm. Uh, Metallica, on the other hand, said, fuck you, L.A., and they went to San Francisco. Yeah, yeah. And then so they said, well, we're going to put out our own record. So, so they put out their own record, and they signed with an independent label, as yeah, everyone yeah. knows. and then. They said we're going to go to Europe, and they their first tour to Europe was sleeping on floors of friends' houses, and yeah, they yeah. drove in vans, and they didn't make any money, and they they got a lot of favors from people they knew in the press. Obviously, yeah, yeah. Lars had some connection because he was European, but yeah, yeah, and that just goes to prove you can do it. You can do it. They did it. A lot I, of bands. I wonder at that if, level I, I did it. I wonder we were that, on the major label and like, oh, well, yeah, major yeah, yeah. label. No, 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 you can't do that. You know? <laughs> yeah, I guess the major labels were still in thrall to this whole getting as big as possible sort of rock star, rock, whole rock scene, whereas Metallica was kind of against yeah. that, kind of like doing it their own way. Mm -hmm. Hey, let's mm -hmm. set up the next one because we're about to run out of time here. So. Okay, sure. Okay. Yeah. That's all right. But yeah, that's. I think that's really fascinating because it sort of indicates to me that there's a sort of, there's an element of that still that 70s, 80s idea where everything was about to be as big as possible, blown up as possible. And you're getting sort of advice going, no, no, wait, 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 wait. You guys are going to be selling a million records, this, and that, and the other. Whereas the kind of more extreme, you know, maybe underground, um, you know, the more thrash. I don't know. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. 
real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Oh, maybe vibe is to kind of go, look, we're never going to be that big. Let's just do it under different definitions. I don't know if that's maybe an overreach of a, an observation. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty accurate, you know. I mean, again, like being, this may be one of the downfalls being in a city like Los Angeles where the entertainment industry is just like massive. Of course. Like, of course. Yeah, I mean, so you, you have this sort of aura of like, you know, this is the way things are done and you do them by the book and we're going to spend buckets of money and we'll see what happens, you know. Yeah. So, but, so considering all that, like when it did it, to, I mean, was it was it an eighty seven or eighty eight then? Because or oh yeah, so first time getting to Europe, like so it, it it was a you know it was <laughs> it was an uphill battle as you can imagine. Yeah, and it really wasn't until we were dropped from Chrysalis, so it was you know our contract ended with them after we made Raising Fear, right? Yeah, 19, yeah. Eight, 1988 or so. Okay, and right. then um, it was during that period between eighty eight and uh, whatever ninety. 89 that we got an offer to play at the dynamo festival yeah, in that's holland what I was, that's what i was going to say because that's what the first time i would have seen the logo and associated it when i would have read kerrang or something and gone like oh shit. yeah you know yeah yeah exactly so i don't I, I honestly can't recall the, the how that procedure happened like how, who reached out to us or anything like that but um we got an offer to play dynamo and it was like oh we know what dynamo is and so I think it was only their third one, maybe. Or I yeah. can't remember, but it was early in their career. But uh, so, of course, we said, well, hell yeah, let's go to Europe, you know. And um, we also had a club show at the Dynamo Club. I believe it was called the Dynamo Club. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was like, a, was the one with the pentagram on the floor and all that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. So we went there and played two shows in Holland. And, man, it was like, what a welcome. like. We, uh, I mean, after waiting for so long, you know, so uh, I think go, at that go, go, point go. it was six, six, eight years or something. The bill is the bill correct? And am I correct? And I'm look. Sorry, I was looking down here. The bill 
Um, Exodus, Laz Rocket, Candlemas, Toxic, Sabbat, Paradox, and you guys, is that the bill or am I? Um, no, I think it was, I think Sabotage headlined that hey. and, and Sacred Reich was also on that bill. Um, I wonder if that band, a band called, oh, here um, you go. Okay. No, it's, the, 19, it's 1989 says here. 89. Okay. So it was a little, okay. That sounds about right. 89. Yeah. You've got okay. Holy Moses, Sleaze Bees, Sleaze Bees, Sacred Reich, Armored Saint and Sabotage. Wow. Forbidden was on that. Oh, I didn't yeah, I forgot yeah, yeah. about that. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's crazy. And so that was yeah. the first time. Wow. So that must have been God, that's a long was, time going to get to get there for the first time. Five, six years, yeah. Yeah, it was it was awesome though. Uh it was like we were just again, just in heaven, just it, you know, it just it just everything about the environment just reeked to Europe and it was like, oh, this is what we've been waiting for. And and a big thing for, at least I remember on the uh, on the TV at the time, I mean, my first probably exposure, I suppose, was maybe there was a show called Sky Monsters of Rock, which must have been, I don't know, 86, 87 or 88, would have been the video for Madhouse or something. You know, that was a kind of, had a sort of quite the impact because the records were a bit, well, I mean, they were relatively hard to get here except for the first release. Um, yeah. But that was the that was a big impact, and I think an awful lot of headbangers saw that and went, "Well, we have to see this band." I mean, how wh when is that going to be possible? Kind of thing, you know. Yeah. But remember about yeah. that video because it's it's I don't know if any for people who haven't seen it, go and check it out. It's a fucking killer video, you know. That's the live one you're talking yeah, about, yeah. right? In Detroit yeah. or Cleveland or something or something. Oh uh, yeah, it was from Cleveland. It was from a tour. It was during our last tour with Chrysalis. Uh, we were on the yeah. Raising Fear tour, and we did a tour with uh, with Halloween and Grim Reaper. Yeah, yeah. Um, which was a great tour, actually. But that, but that uh, video, that video used to get played a lot on this show. So for a kind of generation of my cool. generation, that would have been the first thing that we saw, or wow. we saw like introduction to the band live. So that was quite the. Uh, I mean, it made yeah. quite a sort of impact on quite a lot of people. I yeah, think, that's you know? great. Yeah. And then, you know, so that was that show in 89 in, in Holland was our first mm. time setting feet on the ground, you know. Yeah, yeah. And then um, we finally did get to the marquee and um, okay. when, um, Symbol of Salvation came out. But it was, okay. again, it, it was the it was the new marquee, not, not uh, the yeah, OG yeah, yeah. one because they yeah, had yeah. moved, right? I forget yeah, what yeah. year then. But, uh, but we were like, doesn't matter. We're still at the marquee, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so that was amazing too. It was a packed house, and it was a great show, and yeah, really, really hot in there. That I think it was during the summer, so it was blazing hot inside. But um, and what was the first then? Kind of, do you remember the first full European tour that took you around and for a couple of weeks? Or did it? Was that the early nineties then? We're moving into well, symbol of, we're moving into symbol of salvation era. Yeah, yeah. So we didn't actually. We did some dates on that symbol tour uh, in ninety. Well, I guess it would have been ninety one. Yeah, ninety one. Uh, and that was really the first time we did any kind of touring, um, and it wasn't really even a full tour. Um, we did a, a string of dates. I believe they were the Rock Hard Festival um, sponsored oh, yeah. uh, shows. So it was one was one in Berlin and one in. Um, actually east berlin which was crazy oh really okay um, that's interesting yeah it, it was just after the wall had come down um 
And then we played, uh, oh, I can't remember any other cities, but there was a series of German festivals and they were all sponsored by Rocker. Dusseldorf, Oberhausen, I don't know. I don't don't know if they, I I still don't know if they had done the Gilsenkirchen one yet. Yeah, yeah. But um, I think it was, you know, four or five shows in in Germany. And um, those were good too, but uh, the headliner on those was Creator, I think. And um, I think there was a lot of times uh people didn't know what to make of us you know yeah i, I don't know you were so distracting we had- a couple of different things that i think it probably people were more um probably more open to that a couple of years later when main th- when yeah. heavy metal made a bit of a return 96 97 98 91 yeah. was pretty yeah. trash metal time and if you're playing with creator they don't yeah. want to hear normal yeah and then you know no. And, that, and that we had like, race. yeah, <laughs> at that point we had like, we, in the beginning, yeah. we kind of got lumped into the thrash scene and the, during the mid eighties, yeah. but by the time 91, 1991 came around, we had, we got rid of our armor and our yeah. sound kind of course. got a little more sort of rock, rock. Well, that's the symbol rock. of, that's symbol of salvation. Of. I mean, that's, yeah. that's one of my very favorites. Like it's, it's yeah. where everything sort of. Um, I think coalesced in a sort of really, really strong way. You've just mm. sorted the production, the choruses. I mean, it's just super memorable mm. from start to finish. But it's just mm. sort of like intelligent heavy metal in that sense, but it still has mm. the ass-kicking part of it. Like yeah. It's the culmination of the previous couple of records, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that was the that those string of dates uh, was about it. Was about it. And, and then we did, we also did a week with the Scorpions, Okay. In this de- in December of like ninety one, right? I'm gonna say, and and that was a super last minute. Like we at that point we had re-signed with Q Prime Management, so we were with Q okay. Prime again. Oh, Q Prime. And, okay, yeah, yeah. And um, they also managed Tesla. Oh and wow! So, yeah, I'm big big Tesla fan. Yeah, I love Tesla. Yeah. So Tesla was on the tour with Scorpions. Something happened with their passports or something, and they. They couldn't go, okay. so there was about seven or eight shows in December, and they called us and said, "We just had them cancel. Can you guys get on a plane like in in ten days or something?" We're like, "What? Yeah, wow. we'll be sure." It's so great. we went and played these shows with Scorpions, big arenas. It was, you know, it was during the um, what's the big um, the hit they had uh, with the whistling, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah whatever. That's, Whatever record that was, it was a, a huge song, record. A song that shall not be named. Yeah, I know. Yes, yes. We shall not bring bring up that name again. So the Jamie, shows were to the magic of the moment. Blah blah. blah. Anyway, yeah. Sorry. yeah. <laughs> but the only problem was that Tesla was still on the billing. Okay. So we'd we'd come out to play. People are expecting, you know, little Susie's on the up, and yeah, yeah. here we come out like, what? Yeah. Who are these guys? You know. So it was a little weird, but. Whatever it was fine, and, it, it was and that always, was it. Yeah, that was it until 2000. To be honest with you, yeah, it's it's kind of weird because it's um, it seemed to me that um, the band sort of dissolved a couple of years then before heavy metal started to kick back, which was about 96, 97, you know, and that um, probably coming over to play. I could imagine. The first time I went to Dynamo was 97. And then mm. um, 98, I think, was the first time you had, there was a tent with like Saxon, Eister, Blind Guardian, and Hammerfall was on the main stage. And people don't really realize, but Hammerfall, Glory to the Brave, as goofy as it was, it brought 
old school heavy metal kind of back to a whole generation of people who hadn't really paid attention to it. And that, mm. I would imagine, would have been the right moment. But that's only two, three years before then we go to 2000, you know. Um, yeah. obviously, obviously after, uh, you know, Symbol Dave died and all that stuff. Yeah. And the band just kind of, you just put it on ice or what What? What happened really? Well, yeah, I mean, the, well, the biggest, the biggest sort of caveat was that, uh, you know, at the end of Symbol, we were sort of at wit's end a little bit internally, yeah. like, you know the tide at least in america the tide was changing with grunge and everything of course yeah yeah so for us it was like oh my god like 10 years we've been doing this still still having a hard time getting to europe we made a great record got great reviews and everything but it's like no one's really it's kind of going over heads and it's not doing much yeah i could see see how that would be starting to begin in 91 92 yeah the music scene more extreme death metals coming in and thrash metal yeah they went underground and then death metal kind of surged, started to surge and stuff yeah. like that. And then John got the call from Anthrax. So okay. then that was, yeah, yeah. That, that, that was the sort of straw that broke the camel's back, as they say. Yeah, yeah. And it was, it was almost like we kind of all said, okay, enough. Like we need to, John has to go do this. And yeah. we, I gave him my blessing. We all gave him our blessing. And then, time for us to take a break we didn't know if it was going to be forever or not we just mm. said let's it, this we need it it needs something needs to give and this is it we didn't think twice about replacing john either by the way yeah, yeah. um it was just time to move on so uh that's what we did and um and that's when i got involved with fate's warning and of course started yeah, doing yeah, other things yeah, but, yeah. Yeah, fate's warning. but uh but yeah you're right i mean then then, like, in by the late 90s, um, you know, metal started coming back again and being, like, a cool thing. And yeah. the genre embraced uh, lots of different styles of music. And that's when, you know, uh, crossovers started to happen more frequently. And yeah. new metal <laughs> came out. And yeah. then, you know, uh, I, metal core a few years later. I don't think even people really realize that, like, 25 years ago, that era of 98, 97, like the sort of some of the dogma or some of the boundaries that were there. And I'm not really talking about you know, new metal or that kind of stuff, but uh, people started to go, Hey, we could do a, our own festival, a small underground one to a thousand, 2000 people. The sort of boutique festival came back. The kind of second or third wave of black and do metal came around, but this yeah. time people were going, you know what? We, we like Hawkwind. We want to hear, you know, there's a really strange billings began to be form, form in the two thousands. And I think that that laid the groundwork for, I don't know. I mean, I was going to say to you, like, do you think that the sort of the shelving for a couple of years was essential maybe to the kind of second wind that the band got then in the 2000s? Because you got able to have a bit of a break from it and come back and go, actually, you know, all bets are off now. We're going to less pressure to have to make it in this sort of big kind of mainstream way or something. I don't know. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I mean, you're you hit it on the hit it on a button there like that that was that was a philosophy we were taking it was like you know we did that we did that 10 years of thinking you know major label it's gonna be this yeah, way yeah. and we're major managers and major yeah, this and and then it was like you know what none of that it didn't work for us we're we're a we're like our like our favorite bands we're a grassroots band you know we that's that's what we should have been from day one and that's mm. what we wanted to be but you know maybe our decisions took us to other areas. And so 
once once we saw the once the resurgence came up you know thankfully for us it was like you know like you said like like the first bang your head festival we played oh yeah was, you know um and that was a festival that like you said was kind of bridging a bunch of gaps you know and yeah, yeah. had a lot of old old bands on the bill but also a lot of cool new bands on the bill and yeah. we were you know we were sort of becoming an old band at that point but middle-aged to be yeah middle-aged band exactly <laughs> um but those kind of festivals were were genius for us because it was like oh you know like where were you and we're you know it was, it was just a matter of the planets aligning really is what yeah, it yeah, was yeah. and, and did so you, did you find yeah, it was a certain, did you find there was a certain kind of pressure off that you could actually kind of enjoy it more or something, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I have to say, like, that that um, realization was becoming really apparent when we first got back together to do Revelation. Uh, mm. We, made the, rec- we yeah. made the record in 99, but we, did, we didn't really start doing much touring until 2000. Yeah. So uh, it was in that time, in 2000, 2001, we actually did a proper U- uh, European tour with Brainstorm. Oh, and, okay. Um, Brainstorm. Yeah. Yeah. And it was like our first time in a bus in Europe and like actually wow. doing tour dates, playing clubs. and That's crazy. Um, isn't it? Like almost 20 yeah. years after starting yeah. the first tour. Yeah, totally. Totally. And it was like, you know what? Like we just sort of, when we got back together to make Revelation, um, John technically was still in Anthrax. So, we sort of had a handshake deal with all five guys in Armored Saint. We said, look, we're going to do this. We're going out with this philosophy the way that we started when we were 19 years old. We love playing together. We want to make music. And it's just for the love of music. We really didn't care enough about the business to give mm. a shit about making it. You know, it was more course, like yeah, yeah. our love was just in that sweaty 12 by 12 room rocking out pretending we're Iron Maiden or Judas Priest. That's our, that's the love we're after. So we're going to, we're going to do the same thing from this day forward. We're not going to fight with, you know, trying to sell. Yeah. Yeah. We're not going to try to sell more records. We're not going to try to get on the radio. We're not going to try to make an effort to do all this stuff. Um, Now, thankfully I have to say in the same breath that we've been given this opportunity with our, with Brian Slagle and with with Metal Blade Records yeah. to allow us to work in that way. Yeah, yeah. Because um, I think you know a lot of labels, even independent labels, they have a bottom line. They you know they don't want to yeah. lose money. They want to they want to sell records. They want it to go in a progressive direction. Yeah. Well, Metal Blade um, is one of the last independents of all those you know bigger older labels with a kind of different philosophy on that. And I think it's for yeah. for Armored Saint to dip in and out of it when you you know when you want. And I think. What what what's widely acknowledged and respected, at least in the in the kind of modern sort of metal scene, is uh, kind of some of the old bands or middle aged bands. They reappear, <laughs> and everybody goes uh, either there's not the original members, or they or they start to drop off. But you guys all kept the same people. If you sold you in two thousand and two, it's then two thousand and twelve, two thousand and twenty two. But the shape yeah. that the, but the shape that the band was in was always incredibly striking especially to all the you know the fans from the 80s and 90s who wouldn't have seen the band but our german fans or central european fans is like wow yeah i mean john is still killing it and that the whole band sounds really energetic which i think really stood as, as a very important um just really stood to you guys when you came back because 
people who perhaps were kind of going, oh, wow, fucking hell, Armored Saints, but I wonder what this is going to be like, were then, uh, you know, kind of blown away. And I'm not, you know, just saying that because, but I, that's what happened to me exactly when I saw you in the 2000s. It was like, fucking hell, they're in good shape, you know? Mm. And it didn't then wane or deteriorate or then, oh, there's two guys missing or, you know, I think that's mm. an important kind of uh, strength in a way, you know? Yeah, I mean, you bring a good point because th- this is something that we, it's, it's very important for us. You know, th- I think the fact that we have known, I've known John and Gonzo since we were in the second grade, so seven years old, eight years mm-hmm. old. Wow. So we've known each other quite a long time. And we've always had this sort of fam- familial family vibe about us. Mm-hmm. And it's really important for us to keep that, you know. And I don't think that we'd ever... If, you know, if John never came back from Anthrax, we wouldn't be sitting here right now because we yep. would never have just tried to continue the name Armored Saint when, mm. unless it's all of us together, you know. And, you know, losing Dave was a big blow to us and when he passed away from leukemia in 1991. Mm. Um, that was probably the only time in our entire career we had to sort of reevaluate where our goals were and, if we're going to go, we're going to go, but we're going to stay, we're going to keep this tight, you know? Yeah. And Jeff Duncan came into the fold. And yeah. And since then we've had the same lineup, like, as you mentioned, that's very important for us. And um, also keeping ourselves from being too, like, you know, too old, you know, like yeah. Yeah. we try to, we try to stay healthy. We try to, we don't want to be like going out there and faking it. Yeah, yeah. Just, just to get a ticket buy or people to buy our merch, you know, yeah. we, well, I mean, I think we would that, never, I think, would never do that. I think that resonates with people. Like, you know, I if you see you guys at Rock Hard or something like that, I mean, it's something that kind of resonates with the newer generation of um, younger metal fans who are really looking for something authentic or that isn't contrived because that's mm. pushed at them constantly, which is something yeah. managed to maintain, and also the standard of the records, you know, as well. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. I think that's even harder to do nowadays with social media and the the image of uh, what people view as what what thing what is beautiful or not. Let's say, yeah, um, is really a, a lot of smoke and mirrors. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. it's a lot of bullshit out there. But there's but but if you can cut through the bullshit, there's X amount. Yeah people now who resonate much more with that yeah know that yeah yeah and i think i've always felt that you know even before social media like i I always felt that people are smarter than you give them credit for you know like Mm. i think that you know you can't go out and fake it you just people know right away like if if you're not real yeah i think it's one of the first conversations we were having and i was trying to sort of you know slag you know it's like oh you know you should bring out all the armor next time And I think that sometimes I remember having this conversation with Tim from Sirithungal online, you know, when I first heard they were coming back together, my first sentence was, can you still sing like that? And he was like, yeah. And I said, dude, don't dress up like 1981. Don't be <laughs> the guy who's trying to sort of grab on, you know, like I said, don't, you know, don't wear affliction t-shirt clothing and all the fucking, or right. kind of like, don't dress up the other way either. Like, <laughs> you know, be respectful of the past, but kind of not be tethered to it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. You know, it, it really, you're just saying like, just be authentic and like, be who you are and be real. But, you know, keep in mind, you know, keep a little bit in mind where you, you come from, but, yeah, yeah. but you know, yeah. <laughs> and grow old with a little bit some grace as well. But so, yeah. so how was it to play the opening few notes on the base of evil then, you know? 
with muscle. <laughs> well, yeah, that was pretty surreal. Yeah. Uh, How did that yeah, happen? I, uh, well, how did it happen? Well, um, I was on tour with uh, with uh, with Faith's Warning, and yeah, yeah. Um, I was going through Texas, and um, uh, Brian Slagle was traveling, and he said, "Hey, I'm going to be in Texas, and I'm going to bring King Diamond with me. He lives in." He lives in Texas, and he yeah, wants to yeah. come to the show. And I said, "Great!" And then he kind of whispered in my ear on the phone, like, "He's going to ask you something." I'm like, "Okay, right? What's going on?" You know. And I, I started to get wind about uh, what was going on with Timmy, um, but as far as I knew, he was still he was doing okay and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I kind of had a hint as to why he was going to talk to me, but I still didn't know exactly. So, comes backstage, and you know, I've I've known King for a while. Uh, never spent a whole lot of time with him, but we did it. Our Saint uh, opened for King Diamond's uh, solo in '89. Wow! Okay. In the, U- in the U.S., we did about three weeks with them. Okay. So you know we crossed paths, same label, and all that kind of stuff. Um, so he pulled me aside, you know, and started to tell me about what was going on with Timmy and that. Uh, he was okay and everything was going well, but he wasn't sure if he was physically going to be up for a tour they had that summer. So this was the summer of 20. Okay. And you can see where this is going. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I was flabbergasted, first of all. Like, yeah. like did you, do you mean like play with Merciful Fate, like in yeah, festival yeah. in Europe? And I'm like, holy shit. Um, so... I said, so I, can I call, call you tomorrow? And so we talked the next day. I'm like, I'm in. I mean, I mean, I was free. You know, I, I didn't have anything going on. Yeah. And uh, it was like, of course. I mean, be like a crazy weird dream happening, coming true, sort of, you know. How soon and after so, saying yes did you put on evil and go, oh, I could just imagine. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was pretty surreal uh, yeah. because I – I, I said yes, and then I, 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 at the back of my mind, I thought like, well, this isn't going to happen. They're using me as like, uh, I'm going to be in the batter's bo- in the uh, pitch, you know, in the batter's box. Like, I'm not going to go to bat. I'm just going to be just in case, you know. Okay, okay. But yeah, I, yeah. I really, honestly, I didn't take it that serious. I thought, yeah, he's yeah. going to be all right. He's going to be all right. And then, unfortunately, it wasn't that long. It was maybe six months later. We all got the news and. Got mm-hmm. Hank or, or King called me and told me what happened with Tim, and I was like, "Oh my God, it was just devastating." Mm. Number one, yeah, yeah. It, was, it was a horrible thing. I didn't want to hear. No one wanted to hear it. Obviously, yeah, yeah. it was the worst thing that could have happened. And it wasn't until like I hung up the phone that it started to really sink in. Like, uh, dude, you need to start learning these songs because yeah, I had, yeah. up until that point I hadn't learned a lick. I hadn't. I sort of uh, remotely was listening to like you know, oh yeah. I'm getting familiar with like the song, the records again, you know, this yeah, is great, yeah. you know, but it was like, dude, you have homework to do. Holy shit. That's when it became real. So I, I put on headphones and I made a list. Yeah. yeah. Very methodical about it. And it was during figuring out, I try, I think I picked an easy song, like probably was evil because evil is yeah. one of the easier songs to play. Yeah. It's one of the shorter and easier ones. It probably was that song actually. Yeah. Bum, bum, and bum, once I started bum, bum, playing bum, those bum, first bum. notes, I was like, God, is this really going to happen? Yeah, it yeah. was nuts. <laughs> so 
I started to have all these memories flooding back to me. And I, I should probably real quick. Yeah. When I first joined Armored Saint in 1982, we were, like I said, we were all about Kerrang! Magazine. I started getting into tape trading and I got these pen pals, ironically, in Holland. Of course, we ended up in Holland mm. ten, eight, eight years later. Um, and I started tape trading with, with a friend in Holland and in Belgium and um, became, you know, old school, writing letters, pen to paper, people. Of course, like, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, 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 of course. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean. Uh, and so we would we start trading tapes. And this is when the first time I was introduced to a lot of underground bands like like girl and like um, like uh, like Holocaust and like crazy oh, right. bands that I never heard of being from LA. And another one of the cassettes I got was Merciful Fate first EP, oh, which eventually no became yeah. yeah became Nuns Have No Fun, and it was on one side of a cassette, and I it was like the weirdest thing I had heard. It was like you know yeah. Bloister Cult on eleven with like. Alice Cooper, like, I didn't know what to make of it, you know, yeah, yeah. and the singing was like, I could only attribute it to like early priest, you know, Yeah, yeah. so uh, some deep purple in there, because they were kind of progressive back for then, sure, you yeah, know, yeah, for sure, yeah, 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 you know, the EP is great, yeah. so I played the shit out of this EP, like, I just wore that cassette out, yeah. you know, so all these memories started coming back when I was learning this, learning these songs, like, and I was just this little kid again, like, excited about music again you know it was yeah, yeah. kind of weird it was really weird so i was just great you know and then fast forward to like you know going to copenhagen for pre-production and just like oh my lord <laughs> it's surreal like yeah, yeah. crazy what's happening and then that first show we played uh uh we actually opened for bowl beat was our okay. first show yeah, and yeah. uh and I'm on these stairs, you know, we had these crazy like productions. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm on the stairs and I'm looking to my left and there's friggin' Hank Sherman's over there. Like and then there's King and he's walking towards me and he's like in full makeup and it's dude, yeah. like talk about hairs on your arm like rising, yeah. you know, just yeah. it was so surreal. So surreal. So I uh you know, it was so, it was a really fun tour that last, it was last summer that this happened. And, you know, halfway through the tour, it took me, took me a good, you know, four to six shows to really get my legs on. Actually, not just me, but the whole band mm. to get our legs and to work out bugs and to feel comfortable on stage yeah, yeah. and with the music. And I found out very quickly that the music's not very easy to play and re to remember. There's a yeah. lot of parts. Yeah, yeah. It's very involved. Yeah, it's yeah. It's not like going out and jamming ACDC tunes. I mean, it's, no. there's so much going on. Uh, so it took us a little while to get our legs. And about halfway, eh, maybe a third of the way through the tour, I, I started to make force myself to, like, take moments when you're out there to, like, open your eyes. Because a lot of times you just get insular and I I get uh, mm. closed in my own world and I, I want to yeah, play yeah. the parts right. And I'm yeah, yeah. very, you know... So I made it, I made it a, an effort to like take a moment during songs or in between songs to just open your eyes and look where you are, like just soak it in. Yeah. So I started seeing like sunsets all of a sudden, you know, <laughs> amongst the sea of people and all these weird sort of simple memories 
yeah, yeah. Uh, started to get etched in my mind about, and really, for lack of a better thing, like stopping the smell of roses, you know, like just really exactly. just absorb what's happening because, yeah, yeah. you know, someone's going to ask you about it later and you're going to be like, I don't know. <laughs> it, was too, it went by too fast, you know. Yeah, and that's that. That comes as kind of neatly brings us back to the beginning because that's the sort of, you know, they say youth is kind of wasted on the young or something. But the hindsight, you kind of just take a moment. Definitely, like um, even these last couple of years of playing some festivals every now and again. Yeah, to take that moment to just, you know, soak it all in and go, okay, this one's in the middle. Yeah. I think I'm going to keep this yeah. one on board. You know, maybe you did yeah. when you were sixteen yeah. or eighteen. You know, I, I mean, it kind of goes to what I was saying earlier about. You know, what was it like being in L.A. in 1983? You know, I'm like, yeah. I, I, I don't know. I, just, I was drinking and smoking pot, and I'd go on stage high, and like, I don't know. I don't remember. It was fun. Yeah. but like, that's, that's why we, I was asking you those things when we met, <laughs> met the first time. And that was my hope for, at least in doing, like, an interview like this, because this is some form of a document for the people who will watch it, who go, who you know, people who would just love to go back in time a little bit to take a little – um, yeah. moment in i mean uh, you know it's um i think it's some form of digital posterity or something like this you know which is sort yeah. of important because especially yeah. he's like a 25 year old super armored saint fan who's looking forward to the next you know bang your head or rock hard magazine or festival and they're just yeah. like they get a, a real nice little look into how yeah. it came together you know yeah and they and I, I hope people you know uh you know, I mean, I don't know, not to not to be like a preachy or anything like that, but like I hope people sort of take heed on that and like take a moment to, to look around you and appreciate where you are and mm. uh, embrace everything that's going on. You know, even if it's unsavory, you know, like just it's a cool. It, I don't know. We learn a lot from it, I and mean, again, like hindsight's always twenty twenty. You know, yeah. like what you said is true. Like. <laughs> youth is wasted on the young like yeah i would i would do a lot of things different if i could go back but you know what there's a lot of things that just would not change you know yeah. so um it, it, there's something cool about being naive and and i i also see that side of it as well yeah. i think you have so, to embrace that kind of thing completely because it just sort yeah. of it's the because that early heavy metal scene because it it is sort of tethered to the impetuosity of youth and that youthful energy and a certain naivety. That's part of what the charm that drove it in the first place. And I think that it's it, now a day, sometimes there's too much second people second guessing their impulses because that's what modern social media has made it too mentally distracting mm. to follow an impulse in a, in a way. Yeah. And I think yeah. that's, that's the beauty of early heavy metal, you know? Um, Absolutely. That's what I was trying yeah, and, to sort of get to your brain to try and yeah. extract some of that, you know? Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, I can honestly say that, you know, while while those years were happening, um, you know, it was, there were moments when I would just sort of look, stand around and look back and look around, around the room or look at a venue or the people mm. I'm with or whatever, on stage or off stage or whatever, and just say, this is something really cool is happening right now this is a great this is a great moment something is happening and it's a good thing and i'm going to remember this for the rest of my life you know so yeah i try to do that all the time i still i mean it's one of those little things that you and maybe those that's a little lesson i took with me and yeah, yeah. made me uh take a deep breath on a mercy on the merciful fate stage 
midway through that tour was like, remember when you were young, you like, you know, stop yeah. and smell the roses, look around you. This is a cool thing. Something's happening right now. Yeah. Take a little moment for it, you know, like a time of grace to just go. All right. Yeah, exactly. So I, I try to appreciate uh, all that stuff. You know, I, again, like I'm human, like there's plenty of times where I probably didn't pay enough attention and of course, what are you going to do? You got to learn. <laughs> there you go. On that note, I think that's a good moment to uh, stop. Awesome. All right. Oh, Great. That's fair. Thank you so much, sir. Yeah, man. It's uh, that's totally awesome. It's just, I just what I wanted to do to try and just sort of go back and have a little look and uh, and end. It's a perfect way to end with, you know, uh, a kind of little bit of introspection about how things are now and stuff. You know. Cool. Cool. Yeah. It's been, uh, it's been good, and I, I've been kind of been talking about this a lot lately because of a forty-year anniversary tour we just did with Wasp, for instance. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's sort of been the topic of this of conversation, you know, like, well, 40 years ago, what was it like 40 years ago, yeah, you know? Yeah. And my first answer is, fuck, I can't fucking remember that far back. But, so let me but try. it's also cool, it's also, <laughs> it's also cool to, have, to make defining memories. Now, after people say that yeah. to me, oh, well, you know, how was it in 96 or 95 or 94? And you go, well, you know what? It, it was fine, but I think I like now or, well, you know, five years ago, whatever, better than maybe yeah. sometimes because, you know, you're, you have a bit of, a small little bit of wisdom and age and you can just sort of take a little breath and enjoy things a bit more, you know? Ish. Yeah, I, I know. I think I agree with that, you know, cause like, uh, like I said, you know, we were so young and naive when things were starting out. Um, and so many things felt out of our control, you know, your yeah, life yeah, yeah. is sort yeah, yeah. of, that there were times where I felt like it was spinning uncontrollably away from you. Yeah, yeah. And I do like, I do like being where I am now. I, like you said, there were a little bit smarter and, you can, you can still, you know, yeah, <laughs> this much talent. Yeah. Um, I'm manage... not sure about that. Sometimes I'm not sure about that. <laughs> but uh, no, I, I think I'm able to appreciate things more because I'm more uh, at ease with a lot of things that, you know, there's not so many things out of grasp or out of control. Yeah, yeah. Things, things are a little more in control, relatively speaking. I mean, you know. Relatively. Um, but, yeah, relatively. All right, Chief. Well, everything's good with you? Like, uh, yeah? Yeah, we're okay. We're just waiting for the album to come out, big tour at the end of the year, and we actually will tour America for the first time next March. Get the fuck out. Nine In years. March? So, you know, March of next year, yeah, or April, we're going to tour. Like, Are you are you coming with someone else, or you have um, a package, or like, what's, what's I think happening? It's like, it's like we do Maryland Death Fest, and then we play. Oh, okay. 10 days after that or something, but we have, we actually have a day in LA, if you can believe that. Oh, that's amazing. You have a date already? Um, sometime in... You don't have to tell me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If not, March, if not, we're doing all the tons of festivals next year, so. In Europe? Yeah. Um, uh, well, we might be playing some other ones in the US, but yeah, we're, we're, I'm sure if, if you're doing festivals in Europe next summer or something, we'll be around. This one, this summer is a bit quiet, but you know. Yeah, for us too. Yeah, we're trying to get on twenty-four festivals as well, but it's 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 been really hard lately because of the world opening back up. Everybody and their brothers trying to get on the yeah, stage, you know? and everything is expensive, and yeah, the energy <sighs> costs have doubled, tripled, quadrupled. Yeah, it's crazy stuff happening. I'm not sure. It's, I'm not sure it's going to calm down, but maybe a little bit. I hope so. Let's end I on. Hope so. Let's end on that positive now. <laughs>